Good morning. Uh, good morning again. Uh, I've, I've been on, as the, the youth minister for the last eight years, I've been on a lot of uh, retreats and to a lot of camps. And one of the, the uh, places that, that we've taken students to uh, for, for several years is Camp, Te- Camp Tejas uh, in Giddings, Texas. It's a, it's a great campground. I don't know if you've been there. You may have been to one like it. And one of the highlights uh, of camp is always the zip line. Right there, there's the zip line, and you know it's a tower that's you know 80 feet tall. I don't know, 100 feet tall, um, and, and usually I'm, I'm with a you know a, a student, maybe a junior high student who hasn't ever uh, done anything like this. You know, so I'm going up with them, and you know first you have to get on your harness uh, and, and your helmet, and you know that it's, everyone's excited, um, and then you start climbing. You t- climb a little netting, and then you climb some some uh, ladder, ladders and stairs up this tower, and the tower you know is moving a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, you're just talking the whole time about how exciting it is, how, yeah, you've done this before, yeah, th- thousands of people do this, you know, every day, uh, and you're, you're just kind of, you know, trying to keep everything positive, um, and then you get up to the top, uh, and, and it's a little scary, right? And, and there's the moment where you're, you're, you're harnessed in, you're ready, and they say, all right, put your toes on the edge, right? And, and you step up to the edge, and that's the, that's the moment uh, where you don't know how it's going to go. Right? Sometimes students climb down, you know? <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes. Um, but that moment, the moment of jumping off, is the moment of faith. It's the moment of faith, right? You have to trust, even though every rational intuition in you says, This is nuts. I'm going to die if I jump off of this, right? You have to trust, no, this, this, uh, harness this wire. How, have they serviced this wire? How old is this wire? I have five children. I, like this is what goes through my mind. Um, uh, but but it's a moment of man jumping, and it requires a commitment, right? A commitment uh, to to jump off and put all of your weight onto your harness and onto the wire. And faith requires a commitment. Have you have you taken the, the free fall of faith? Right? I wonder if you have put all of your weight on the Lord. We'll see today two examples of, of true faith from Hebrews 11 as we continue our series through Hebrews 11. And we'll ask three questions as we begin just to kind of lead our, our time. Uh, what does true faith inspire? Two, what is, or why is faith commitment challenging? Why, why is this a challenging thing? And what are the results of faith? What does true faith inspire? Why is a faith commitment challenging? And what are the results of faith? Let's pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump right into the, to the text. Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us gather together under your word. Um, would you please speak to us? We, we uh, have no hope unless you come and you speak to our hearts as only you can. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you uh, to, to make yourself known here, um, to speak to each of us as we need. Um, would, you, would you open our hearts? Um, as we, we have so many distractions, so many uh, blockages, and so many obstacles uh, to truly hearing you and being open to what you have to say to us. And so, would you break through all of that, and would you speak to us, um, and, and would you help make us ready to listen? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What does true faith inspire? What does truth, faith inspire? We, we break into the history of Israel. Um, after Moses, we, we saw last week, Moses 
led the people out of Egypt and out of slavery, uh, right? He, he leads them into the wilderness. Uh, and then the next mention of faith in Hebrews 11, if you notice, after, uh, after that, after he leads them through the Red Sea, uh, is this, the, the Israelites entering Canaan, entering the promised land. Um, and the author doesn't mention, if you know the history, you know there, there's a long period of time that he, <laughs> that he didn't mention there. Uh, and the author doesn't mention the time in the wilderness, right, between leaving Egypt and entering Canaan, uh, because that, that was actually a time of unfaithfulness for God's people, right? It was, there was a lapse of faith there. Um, he has already, back in, in chapter three of Hebrews, talked about that time as an example, but not as a positive one. Uh, back in 3.15, it says, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who, with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This generation saw God's deliverance from Egypt. They saw the water turn to blood. They saw the hail. They saw the frogs and the gnats and the darkness. Uh, they saw the angel of death come through and kill the firstborn of Egypt, uh, but spare Israel because of the, when the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts. They walked through the sea on dry ground and they saw the water swallow up the Pharaoh's army behind them. And yet, shortly after their time away from Egypt, rather than being filled with faith, they were filled with, with unbelief and they were filled with fear. Or we could talk about many of the ways that, that they disobeyed, right? They, they worshiped the golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain. Uh, they sacrificed to other gods. They refused to enter the land that God promised them, right? Moses sends 12 spies into the land um, and, and they come back and, and 10 of them say, the people there, are, it's, it's too, the land's too, too um, inhabited. The people are too strong. We can't take them, right? There's only two. Joshua and Caleb are the two that say, God is with us. We can take this land. Um, but, but the people listen to the 10 and are filled with fear. And so God did not let them into the promised land. Instead, he made them wander. He made them wander. They stayed 40 years in the wilderness until all that generation that left Egypt, all except Joshua and Caleb, these two faithful spies, um, had, had died off and a new, new generation had taken their place. And the question was, would this new generation trust the Lord? Would they trust the Lord God who they had heard of, they'd heard of his mighty works from their parents, but who they had not seen for themselves? Would they trust? It's like seniors going off, right, isn't it? You have to decide, is this faith my own or is it only the faith of my parents? Their parents' unbelief, lack of trust, was seen in their disobedience. So how do we tell if this new generation would be faithful? Well, would they obey? Right? Will they jump off the platform? Will they trust in God? True faith inspires all-in obedience. True faith inspires all-in obedience. Moses dies, and God appoints Joshua to lead the new generation into the promised land. 
Uh, Joshua sends spies into the land, much as he himself was sent by Moses into the land to spy it out 40 years before. Uh, These men go to Jericho, which was a fortified city. There's a wall all the way around it, uh, so it was more difficult to take militarily. And this is where we meet Rahab. These spies come to Rahab's house. Rahab may have run an inn. Uh, We don't know much about her except uh, that she is a prostitute. She welcomes them and finds out who they are. Uh, Word has gotten out that they're there. They've been identified. They've been uh, seen. And uh, so then the king of Jericho sends men to arrest them. But Rahab hides these men. She hides the spies. She sends them upstairs on the roof. They hide. uh, and, And she sends their pursuers on a wild goose chase so they can get away. She tells the spies, I've heard of you. I've heard of your God. I've heard of what, how you came out of Egypt with mighty wonders. I heard of what you did to the kings of the Amorites across the Jordan. And she says, I know that your God is the God of heaven above and earth below. And she asks for kindness. She says, because I've been kind, because I've saved your life, remember me. Right? Be kind and spare me and my household when Jericho falls. They agree to this deal, and she lets them out of the window so they can escape. Before they leave, they tell her to tie a scarlet cord to the window of her home so they can identify it, and that anyone in there won't be killed when the army takes the city. And so she ties that cord to her window. We see here in Rahab that her faith inspired obedience. Her faith inspired all-in obedience, Right? She had heard of the Lord of Israel and she believed. She had faith. Right? She, and that's not, not much information she had. Right? She just heard of what he'd done, but she believed. Right? It doesn't take a lot of information to believe. Uh, right? She believed. And so when agents of the Lord came to her home, she knew what she had to do. At the risk of her own life, she hid the spies and she sent them away safely. A short while later, the Israelites crossed the Jordan God parted the water again. He showed this new generation his power and they came up against the city. Uh, but they used a very, a very strange battle strategy. Right, God, God told Joshua that he was to take the Ark of the Covenant uh, with, with seven priests blowing ram's horns and to march around Jericho with his army. Okay, they weren't to do anything for six days except march around the city once a day, just being quiet, just the horns blowing, and then with the Ark of the Covenant marching around the city. Then on the seventh day, they were to go around seven times, and on the last time, they would blow the trumpets, yell, and the walls of the city would fall down on their own. Now, when Joshua heard that plan from God, I I just can't imagine that he was psyched about it. You know, I can't imagine that he was like, Yes, now that's a plan, right? <laughs> uh, like, I just can't imagine that he didn't think, how, do you, how am I going to sell this to my generals? You know, like, what am I going to, how am I going to pitch this? Um, I don't know much about military strategy, but this doesn't seem like one you'd read about in the, in, you know, at West Point or something. Um, and so he had a choice. Joshua had a choice. And the people had a choice. Are we going to trust God and obey him? Or aren't we? Right, are we going to jump? Faith inspires all in obedience. It has to. Like, don't you see, they didn't have a choice to ride the fence on this one. 
They couldn't like, you know, uh, send part of their people to walk around the city and the rest of us will try to attack, right? No, that would be disobedience, right? They, they, they had to do it or not. And, and I think we try to ride the fence in our faith sometimes. We say we believe, we trust God. Yeah, yeah, of course. We can recite the right doctrines. Uh, we, we maintain a good image on the outside, right? We go to church, we serve our community, we're nice people, But when do we see whether our faith is real? When there's an opportunity to obey God or not. When someone irritating starts a conversation with you, do you choose to be patient and love them or don't you? When you're alone and you're tempted to sin, do you flee temptation or do you flirt with temptation? When you feel convicted to to pray for someone or to talk with someone, do you go do that? Or do you rationalize it away? No, I probably shouldn't. We we emphasize often here at Redeemer that we are saved by faith and not by our obedience, by grace through faith in Christ alone. As we should, as we should. We don't earn God's love by anything we do. We can't. But that is not to discourage or to devalue obedience. As John Calvin said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Faith is primary, but it always produces obedience. Right? Faith without works, James tells us, is dead. Right? This is, in fact, the exact point that James illustrates using Rahab's story. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Rahab's faith was demonstrated to be alive by her obedience that she did what was right. In the same way, Joshua and Israel demonstrated their faith by their obedience in marching around the city without attacking it for seven days. Can I ask you a question? Does your life look any different from someone in your neighborhood who doesn't trust Jesus? If you weren't a Christian, you were just trying to live a good life, Would your life look any different than it does? One obvious difference should be, shouldn't it, that we obey Jesus while people who aren't his followers don't. It's not to disparage them. Why would they? They're not following him. (laughs) We are. Do Do you intend each day to follow Jesus? Like, do you plan to follow him, to obey him, obey what he says? Do you actually obey him? And and if you never do, right? If if following Jesus doesn't have like a practical effect on your life, then then I'm not very hesitant to to say, man, you're probably not a disciple of Christ. (laughs) Right? You're not following him. Faith is not a prayer you said once for hell insurance. It's just not, right? And listen, I'm not talking to people who, man, people struggle with sin. Like Christians struggle with sin. And that's not what I'm talking about. If you hate your sin, you want to be done with it, but you struggle, man, 
I think that's an evidence of faith, right? If you, non-Christians don't struggle with sin, right? Um, they embrace it. But, but if, if this is you, if you just said a prayer when you were a kid, and then you're just living your whole life for yourself, what's your plan when you die and stand before the Lord? But Lord, it's clear I trusted you and loved you. I mean, didn't I say a prayer when I was eight? Didn't I go to church every now and then? True faith inspires all in obedience. It has to. It has to. Second, why is this faith commitment challenging? I'm not saying it's easy. Why is this faith commitment challenging? Uh, Well, it's costly. That's the bottom line. It's gonna cost you something to trust Jesus. Rahab had had a moment, didn't she, when the men came to arrest the spies, right? Am I going to risk my life now to hopefully be saved later on? Or am I going to save my life now and risk being destroyed later? That's not an easy decision. Joshua and and the people had a moment where they had to swallow the Lord's battle plan and say, am I willing to look foolish, like we're stupid and crazy and doing something meaningless for a whole week in front of our enemies? Are we gonna bet it all on God or aren't we? And what faith costs you is what the Bible calls dying to yourself. So the Bible calls dying to yourself. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Christian, please don't tune this out. What is the experience of faith like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We we would like being a Christian to always feel like joy and peace and happiness, like cloud nine, I'm just floating on the clouds. And listen, he is our shepherd. He does make us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet water. He restores our soul. That's real. But don't Jesus' words here mean that at least some of the time that is not how it feels. Deny yourself, Jesus says. I think this is the most countercultural idea you can talk about at this moment in history, in our, where we live, right? What does deny yourself? It means I deeply want something. I want this. I want to do this. I want to be this, and I will deny myself. I will not pursue that. That is not good for me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, he says. Right, and the cross is not like the little necklace you, know, you wear on, on, on your, a daily basis. No, no, this is a, the Roman torture device. Right? This is the device of death. And this means it feels like dying. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. 
obey what I say, follow in my steps. And of course, his steps lead to the cross. As an example, Francis Schaeffer uh, in his little uh, commentary on Romans, told, tells a story about a friend of his who was just a, a really fantastic vocalist. Uh, if you don't know Francis Schaeffer, uh, he was a, uh, a Christian philosopher, theologian guy. Uh, he lived in Switzerland, um, and uh, he started Labrie Fellowship, which was a place where uh, just, just a lot of college, like college-age stu- students, atheists, uh, skeptical people would come. Uh, and he said it was a place where there, there would, they would give honest answers to honest questions. And he would just help people work through faith and work through their doubts. Um, and and he, he talked about this, this friend who was just a, a really fantastic vocalist, you know, had a, had a uh, career on Broadway. Uh, and, uh, and ha- but she became convinced that she needed to die to herself, die to that, uh, to that dream so that she could understand what God was calling her to. Um, and he just said it was interesting to him to see how difficult Christians made it for her to do this. Right? He just said that, that they, would, they would constantly say to her, no, but God's giving you that voice. You need to do something big for the Lord. You need to pursue that. Pursue that. Look what, how he's gifted you. You need to pursue that for the Lord. And he, and he says this, he says, he says, it was so hard for her to die to herself. He says, our greatest human talent may have nothing to do with our greatest usefulness to God. If we could ever learn this, there, we'd be saved from ever so much pride and ever so much failure. We must be dead to the big things, even those that seem to be good, if we're to be alive to God. We die not only to our bad things, we die to our good things. Right, count the cost. Trusting Jesus is not easy. It's the death of every worldly dream, ambition, desire, and expectation. You have to give it all up. What does Paul say? Right? I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? I, I consider I get everything, I consider it trash, I consider it rubbish, that I'm a gain Christ. That's the point. That's the die to yourself. Now, of course, I think the benefits far outweigh the costs. He does say, if you lose your life, you'll find it. And that means something. But it doesn't mean there won't be a cost. Struggle and pain and daily dying as we deny ourselves and we follow him. But that leads us to the last question. What are the results of faith? What do we see in this passage? I think we see three, three results of faith in this passage. The first is, you can see in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. They, they trusted God. They followed the battle plan and it worked. The walls fell down by the power of God and they took the city. Faith led them to, to triumph over their enemies. And I think this, this part can get really cheesy really fast. You know, what are the Jerichos in your life? What are the obstacles in your path that God's gonna knock down by faith, right? Um, and, and I don't think that's all wrong, um, but, but I, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. It's a little harder to apply this maybe. This was obviously a, a, a unique time in the history of redemption. Uh, and God was using his people in a unique way, right? We, we are not a divinely led nation state like Israel was. Um, and so we don't engage in war, you know, holy war on other people as instruments of God's judgment um, as they did then. 
Our battle, right, we see explicitly in Ephesians 6, uh, our battle now is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers in the spiritual realm. It's against spiritual forces. John tells us uh, that this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, right? The world, this is the victory that's overcome the world, controlled by sin, the flesh, the devil, uh, is our faith. So faith does lead to victory. We'll, we'll see next week that uh, faith, by faith, the people of God have had all kinds of victories throughout history. Faith does bring victory, but, but what kind of victory? What kind of victory? I think the best question isn't, what's your Jericho? I think the best question, or a better question is this. If you did fully trust God, what might he do in your world that only he can do? What might he want to use you for? And, and I don't know if you can answer that question. I don't know if I can answer that question, right? Paul says he can do far more abundantly than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Just before the, the Jericho conquest uh, in Joshua 5, Joshua meets uh, the commander of the army of the Lord, right? It says a soldier showed, it's this mysterious passage, a, sh- a soldier sh- showed up with a drawn sword and Joshua comes and asks, are, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And, and the soldier just says, no, <laughs> right? Neither. <laughs> I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls down, right? And, and worships. He knows it's God. And just after that is when Joshua receives the plan, right? The battle plan to take Jericho. But I think the point of that, I think a point of that, uh, is it's, it's not that God is on our side, right? It's that by faith, we get to be on his side. Faith leads to victory, but faith leads to the Lord's victory, Right, the Lord's victories that he lets us participate in. Again, I think we often get this backwards. We, ha- we have our agenda, our desires, our ambitions, and we want God to come along and make them happen. And when they don't, we ask, oh, did I have enough, not have enough faith? Where are you, God? What's the problem? But maybe God isn't here just to be your, your muscle or your assistant, Maybe, just maybe, he has something greater for you than your agenda or your desires or your ambitions. And he's waiting for you to die to your plans and give yourself completely to him. This is Schaefer again. The Christian life does not mean always being as active as possible. The Christian life means being quiet and still in our fellowship with God so that we can be alive to him. If someone were to ask me, what is the thing that most Christians never seem to learn? I would say, this is it. Our calling as Christians is not primarily to find some particular ministry on the basis of some natural talent that we possess. Our calling is to be dead to all things, good and bad alike, in order to be quiet before God. And then what? And then comes the wonder. Then comes the possibility through faith of seeing myself as though already alive and raised from the dead, stepping back into this space and time historical life in the power of the spirit to live for the glory of the Lord, yielding myself to his hand as a weapon sharpened for his use, yielding myself to be a slave of my lovely Lord. Faith 
leads to the Lord's victories. What else do we see that faith leads to? Uh, Hebrews eleven thirty one. by faith Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Rahab gathered her family and those close to her in her home. Um, you, you have to imagine for, for a whole week, right? She didn't know the timeline. She didn't know when it was gonna happen. Um, but as the Israelites marched around, she gathered uh, her people you wonder if they were skeptical. You know, her uncle was like, listen, honey, I helped build these walls. They're really thick. Like, there's no scientific way that these, guys, these people could break through the walls, uh, <laughs> right? You know, but but she, was, she was effective, right? She, she did keep them in her home. And when the walls came down, the spies came to her house and brought Rahab and her entire family out to safety. And it says she didn't perish. She didn't perish. Perish is a good Bible word, uh, but one that we don't use very much in, in normal life, besides maybe for fr- fruits and vegetables. Um, it, it's a word that, that is, is used in the most famous verse in all of the Bible, in John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Rahab made a decision to trust, to trust that risking her life on the side of the God of Israel was worth it for the promise of future deliverance. How she responded to the spies resulted in her deliverance in the future. And we actually all have a similar decision to make in in the presence of the same God. These verses tell us that how we respond to Jesus results in our deliverance or our destruction. God loved the world by sending his son, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world. He died in our place. He sent Jesus not to condemn, it says, but to save the world. If you believe in him, you will not perish. But if you don't believe in him, you will be condemned. Jesus doesn't want you to perish, right? But to live forever. He wants to give you eternal life. Jesus came to save you because he loves you. And maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you think, I don't think he could love me. If you wonder if that's true, I just want to bring your attention again to Rahab, who was a prostitute. Do you know that God loves and saves all kinds of people who've done all kinds of wicked things, who struggle with all types of issues, who who are ashamed of themselves, God loves prostitutes. God loves drug dealers. God loves racists. God loves gay people. God loves proud people. God loves people who've been taken advantage of. God loves gluttons. God loves judgmental people. God loves drunkards. God loves liars. 
God loves depressed people. God loves power abusers. God loves porn addicts. God loves self-righteous do-gooders. God loves greedy people. God loves selfish people, right? You can keep going. None of this is controversial to say because God loves sinners, and that's our only hope. That's our only hope. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Right? That's Rahab, and that's us. And such, it says, were some of you, church. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God loved Rahab, and he drew Rahab, and he saved Rahab. He reformed Rahab. He made her one of his people. He gave her a husband named Salmon, and she is the great-great-grandmother of King David, which means that God redeemed her and used her to be a great-grandmother of Jesus himself in the flesh. Christ came through Rahab. And if God can save and redeem Rahab, then he can save and redeem you and me. It's good news. It's good news. Faith results in deliverance, salvation, and redemption. Won't you trust Jesus? Won't you trust him? One other point uh, I'd like to mention here, the last um, result of faith is that in Joshua 6, uh, after, after the conquest, we see uh, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house, bring the woman out of there and all who are with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. Notice that it wasn't just Rahab who was saved but her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And I just can't, I just can't imagine that Rahab's family didn't grow in size in that week. You know, she's like, you have, you have 35 sisters? Yep, they're all here. They're 35, it's a pretty big family, uh, <laughs> right? It says all who belong to her, right? Her faith, her faith didn't make her hole up in her house and wait for the end, right? I know the end's coming, so I'll just sit here and be safe, right? No, no, it sent her out. It sent her out to those close to her, those she loved, um, to anyone who would listen to her, right? And, and to beg them to trust her, come in, find safety. And isn't it the same for us? Shouldn't it be? If we trust Jesus, if we know him, if we know his salvation, if we know his love, how can our hearts not burn for those we love? How can we not beg them to come in? How can we not, not reach out to them in every way that we know how to? How can we not pray fervently for them? May our homes and our groups and our families and our church be filled with many who, because of our witness and by the grace of God, fly to Jesus for safety and redemption. Right? When he comes, would he find many who belong to us? Right? Man, I want Lawson and all those who belong to him, right? Related or not, every, like, let's go. Uh, we, we need to, to bring people in and to tell them of this grace. It's an amazing feeling 
um, to step off the platform at Camp Tejas and trust the zip line to hold you. And it's also, it's also an amazing feeling, uh, by the way, to, to help another person do the same, to see a student take that jump. Yes, right? but it takes commitment. It takes commitment and the commitment is worth it. And how much more is entrusting our entire lives to the one who died for us worth it? How much more will that decision pay off? May we be found faithful in our obedience and in our witness. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace that while we were yet sinners, you came and died for us. Thank you for these stories of faith. Thank you for Rahab. Thank you for telling her story and giving us hope. Lord, we, we need your help to be faithful to you. Um, we are weak. We, we, like the Israelites, forget so quickly all, of, all the ways that you've delivered us, all the ways that you've loved us, all, all of the evidences of your grace in our lives. We, we are quick to forget and quick to complain. And so would you forgive us and would you help us fill us with your spirit so that we can be found faithful? We need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.